0: It's time to accelerate! Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am looking forward to talking with my guest today. Joining me is Colleen Francis. Founder of Engage Selling and author of a great book called Nonstop Sales Boom Powerful Strategies to Drive Consistent Growth Year After Year. Colleen, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks so much, Andy. It's my great pleasure to be here. So take a minute and introduce yourself. I mean, tell us how you got started in sales.
1: You know, I come from. A long history of selling, I guess. My dad uh, was in sales. And so I I never grew up in one of those households that thought sales was a bad thing. What did he sell? He sold paper products. So everything from uh, paper to school notebooks to envelopes, you know, in a corporate environment always. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. he was one of those career sales guys, you know, 37 or 41 years with the same company and went from salesperson to sales manager to general manager. And I think probably because he was a salesperson, um, I was always one of those kids that when we were sent home with cookies or wrapping papers or poinsettias or spices or chocolate bars, <laughs> I had to go door to door. He did not take that stuff to work for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I, as a kid, I grew up selling. And then when I graduated it, from university... the well,
0: question. Did it come naturally did, for you?
1: I don't know if it came naturally, um, but I'm certainly not an Introverted person, so at an early age, knocking on doors and talking to neighbors that I knew and asking them to buy stuff was not nerve-wracking for me. Um, but you know, they did have to push me out the door. Let's say, <laughs> well,
0: yeah, yeah, eight years old, get out there! You got quota to make.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Well, the thing that's kind of interesting though is is you bring that up. Your father was in sales. As I was interviewing someone just a week or so ago about their hiring practice, CEO of a sales technology company, saying that their biggest indicator of success in new candidates for sales positions is whether one and or both of their parents were in sales as a profession.
1: Well, you know, that's really interesting. And I hadn't heard that before, but the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. And for one simple reason is support. So I know as an entrepreneur and a solo consultant that having a spouse that supports you or a support network is critical for success. I Mm -hmm. couldn't do what I did if my husband kept saying things to me like, oh, why don't you get a real job,
0: right? Every time you had a failure. (laughs) (laughs) I tell people my wife has the real (laughs) job, so.
1: Exactly. And so in sales... If you grew up in an environment, or you have parents, especially as your first job, who support you and understand that you can't win them all and keep you going, and you didn't grow up in an environment where selling was a bad thing, you know, oh, Mm can't believe I paid all this money for you to go to university and you just ended up in sales. And that's the environment I grew up in as well. My parents, when I took my first job after university, weren't scared that I was going to be a failure or not make any money because I wanted to go into a selling career. And so I got support from them um, and actually had people you know, before I got married and moved on who understood what I was going through and could offer advice.
0: So what did you sell first?
1: I sold life insurance and financial um retirement products. Mm -hmm. And I did that for about four years, had some success, had some failure, ultimately decided that while I was comfortable selling, I wasn't comfortable in that really personal sale of having to have people disclose their personal net worth and savings and loans and all those kinds of things. I was, it was easy for me to ask for a million dollars from a corporation. It wasn't easy for me to ask for $50 a month from you know, a family around a kitchen table. <laughs> so right. I, I decided to move into uh, business-to-business sales.
0: Excellent. Okay. And what would you sell?
1: Software. So I went to work for uh, records management, glamorous database management Mm. records management software that um, was really fascinating because we sold to highly regulated industries. In fact, if you think way back, when Microsoft was having problems with the Department of Justice, it was our software that they used to help organize their file rooms and libraries to get the documents the DOJ wanted. When Exxon was having problems with the Valdez and they needed all that documentation for the lawsuits and the investigations, it was our software that managed that process to help get their file rooms and their legal rooms organized. So despite those two um let's just call them disastrous events for those companies, we did a lot of proactive work (laughs) as well as contingent work in getting um, information managed correctly for companies, uh, militaries, um, and industry associations
0: around the world. So what was the impetus for starting your own company?
1: Well, you know, it was interesting. I grew up in the software world when, um, you know, during Um, The 90s and the early 2000s and um, went through a couple of mergers and acquisitions. Love to work with a small company as opposed to a big company. So when my software company was bought, the company I was working for, I stayed with them through the transition but really wanted to go back to working with a small, fast-growing company because I like to accelerate. So Mm -hmm. then the bust happened, right? And it was very difficult for sales VPs to get jobs um, as companies were rebuilding because they were focused internally, at least in Canada, on engineering and coming up with new products. And I discovered that they needed part-time sales help. And so that's really how this started, is I went out as a part-time sales VP, um, and then it morphed into, well, instead of being our part-time sales VP, can you just tell us what to do? Can you train our staff? And so it really morphed into a consulting training um, company. And then seven years—that was two thousand and one, August of two thousand and one—and then um, about seven years later, my husband, who was the CTO of a internet big internet security company, publicly traded, decided he wanted out of that corporate um, rat race and came to work with me. So now it's the oh, two fine. of us. Oh, very yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah. So we've been working together now for eight years. Still married. Still married. <laughs> Excellent. Good <laughs> no work. No murder, suicides, no <laughs> divorces.
0: <laughs> Very well done. Not everybody can make that claim. So that's that's great. I'll have to exactly. try to inspire my wife to join me as well. I'll have to, have to go hold you up as the, the example.
1: You go. <laughs> I'm happy to be the poster child. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, we'll make that connection there. So I want to talk about an article you recently published, uh, which I really enjoyed, uh, called Does Your Sales Process Need a Checkup? And because uh, gosh, I, I talk about this a lot with with companies, and I talk about it a lot with guests on the show. Is is you know too often there's sort of a set it and forget it attitude toward process. Yes, and um, or managers say, oh, it's not about the process; it's about the people, and so on. But but it really is about the process. I mean, at heart, it starts with the process.
1: Yes. Well, you know, it's interesting to me too. Um, is that I don't believe that companies have a have as much chance for success if they overlay an artificial process on top of the customer's buying process. Mm-hmm. So I know that there's all sorts of debate about, well, you know, your customer has a process, so you have to have a process. So otherwise, you're you know, going to fail. Well, in fact, I see more Um, tension in the sales process when a salesperson is trying to lead the customer through something that's not comfortable for them. So what we find is that companies who have... And
0: by them you mean either the buyer or the seller.
1: Exactly, exactly. So um, what we find is that you want to have a process that's dynamic. Now yes, there's always going to be a natural um, buying or selling process, right? So, You know, people need information. <laughs> they have to talk to you. Um, they need to see a proposal, and you have to close them. Okay, so there's some buckets of of, um, of a process that have to happen. But who you need to talk to, and how you need to get to them, and what questions have to ask, and whether or not you do trials or solution development, and who pays for that—all those nuances are going to change. Depend on who you're selling to, and also where the seller is in. Their own buying process, how educated they are already.
0: But there's there's research just came out recently, and get your take on this. It's saying that uh, companies that actually document their selling process uh, do you have a much higher win rate than those that don't. I mean, so
1: <clears throat> yes, I would say
0: you would agree that it does need to be at least documented. You need to have a baseline of understanding that you're training people towards.
1: Oh, absolutely. Sorry, and maybe I get I get sometimes. Sometimes the language gets a little bit tangled up. You know, there's a sales process that, you know, when you're in front of the customer and you're actually talking to them and gathering information. Right.
0: Person-to-person interaction, right? Yeah.
1: And then there's the um the funnel. If you could see me right now, I'm I'm making a funnel. In here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your hands rising above your shoulders. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And so yeah, the steps that you have to follow in order to get the the prospect from a lead to qualified to close. Yes. And those kinds of things need to be documented because you can't Coach a salesperson if you don't have an objective internal language for how to guide a prospect through the through the sales funnel.
0: Well, okay. So the question then about your article: Were you referring to the uh, more documented sales process that needs a checkup, or the individual's process they use to you know navigate the individual steps with the buyer? <laughs> well, I was talking about both. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, let's talk about both because this is this is something that that yeah. I think is really critical for listeners that you know could be a sales manager or an entrepreneur, is that get back to this sort of set it and forget it attitude. Yeah. Is is, yeah, they may have heard, yeah, we need to document our sales process. Or so we're gonna document it, but then we're gonna put that document away somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I think that that gosh, well we'll we'll talk about this and with some regularity, is managers need to sort of take a look at their sales process as if they were a new hire into the company. I'm a brand new VP. So what am I going to do with the sales process? Right, yeah. a new set of eyes. What's your thought about that?
1: Well, you know, I think
0: that you raise a really good
1: point. Um, you should ne- nothing in sales should be set and forget. <laughs> and there's two reasons for that. One, if you're going to go through all the um, the work in actually documenting it. Um, because it's valuable, then you need to use it. If you just put it in a drawer somewhere and never use it and never train new hires or never review it with um, old hires, let's just call them <laughs> veterans, then what's the point? Um, On the other hand, a sales process has to be dynamic. The buying process has changed, period. Um, and the way people come into your company have changed. And this is one of the things that um, I'm really passionate about right now is if a buyer comes to you in the middle of their process, you have to have a sales process that is adept at saying, "Okay, you're you know you're at our documented stage four. That's okay. We're not going to force you back into stage one."
0: Well, so, of course, they do though.
1: Yeah, well, it's terrible because I see that happening all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I make the point with with salespeople is that you know when you're in that situation, and, and yeah, you know, some leads are going to come in through inbound, some are going to be proactively developed. But it's always coming in as an inbound lead, as you You need to look at them and say, "Okay, where are where are they in this funnel?"
1: And for gosh
0: sake, don't start with your corporate overview pitch the first time you talk to them because (laughs) they've got that information already.
1: So here's the other thing, though: is let's dot your and you know I would guess that if you looked at that study that you showed that said sales companies that document their sales process are more successful. One of the things they're probably doing is they're documenting the sales process as executed by their most successful people. Um, What a lot of people make the mistake of doing is documenting a sales process. They say, okay, here's how we need to sell. What they need to be doing is going to their most successful salespeople who are over quota today in today's market and say, how do you sell? If we can document that sales process, then we can leverage it to every other person in the company. I mean, if Bob is successful in one market... Um, and you know his market's not an anomaly for some reason, uh, meaning you know it's greenfield or uh-huh. you know there's regulations that are allowing him to be successful. Then there's no reason why Mary can't be successful using Bob's process in another territory, and so. W- another reason for not setting it and forgetting it, as you said, is you want to make sure that it's dynamic, that every year you review it and say, hey, has anything changed? Are our buyers responding more positively or more negatively to one area? Are they coming into us in a different way? Are we getting leads in a different way?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, absolutely. So, I mean, one of the issues, obviously, is does Mary have the same basic capabilities as Bob? I mean, that's yeah. one thing to make it hard to, hard to replicate. But yeah, absolutely right, is is start there, I think, is a great a great way to proceed. So,
1: but question... If I can just, uh, sure. just stop you for one second, but another interesting point there is if you can document your sales process based on what you know is working in the marketplace, you can actually use that to help guide you in your new hires. Because now we say, here are the steps that we know that it takes to be a success in our market. So let's use that as a guidepost to understand the capabilities of the new hires coming in. If we know, for example, that the needs and solutions is the hardest part of our sales process. And it typically takes our top performers three months to go through. And in order to be successful, you have to be really persistent, really curious, really creative. Then we can make sure to test for that when we're hiring. Um, on the other hand, if we know that negotiation is a really tough spot for our people and that we need to follow very rigorous you know, negotiation tactics, we can test for that and make sure we're hiring the right people and then training the people we do have in those areas.
0: Exactly. Or hiring contract managers and let the salespeople not negotiate to the Yeah, Exactly. Sell, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. But you can structure your organization based around the skills that are required to be a success in your marketplace.
0: Well, I think that's a great a great point for people listening is is yeah, pay attention to what's working. And then yeah, map map your process against what works. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you'd be surprised how that works, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean
0: it's 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 a great way to go. So uh, we're gonna take a short break and come back. We'll continue talking with Colleen Francis about sales process. Hi, this is Andy. Connect & Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect & Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandcell.com to learn more about how Connect and sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back with my guest today, Colleen Francis. And we've been talking about sales process, about giving your sales process a checkup. Uh, one last question on that, and then we'll move on to another topic. And Sure. So, what are in your mind? What are the warning signs that managers need to pay attention to? To say, okay, yeah, we've got a sales process. We really need to pay attention to it's. You know <laughs> what? What do you see in your clients that that happens? that's the red flag waving.
1: Well, there's a couple of things. Um, one, if you're if you are doing. Um, rigorous coaching by that you're in front of your salespeople on a one-to-one basis, let's just say um, on a weekly basis, which you should be doing, and you see that people are arbitrarily um, missing steps or implementing steps in a process, or they're not able to articulate what they're doing, Um, those are red flags. Okay. So um, if things are stuck in the pipeline, so if you're looking at your sales pipeline and you notice that people have deals that are stuck for longer than on average, you know, 30, 60, 90 days in each of those categories or they're not filling the pipeline at the top end, um, those are red flags as well that you might have a sales process problem. Or if you see a sudden spike or a sudden um, drop um, in a, a boom or a bust in your sales results, and I'm not saying, of course, if you see a sudden boom, everyone's thinking, yay, we don't have a problem. Um, but if you can't figure out what has caused that boom, then it should be cause for alarm because you don't want to create success on um, by accident. You want to create success on purpose. And so you need to understand what's causing that boom so you can replicate it month over month.
0: Right. So, actually, yes, being deliberate is really important. So, yes. yeah, things happening on autopilot, not so good. Even if you're being successful, you as a manager need to make sure that you're really understanding why things are happening. Exactly. And and I would advocate for companies, for sales managers, really, gosh, at least twice a year really start deconstructing your sales process again because the changes that are happening in the marketplace are happening very quickly. And yes. much better be proactively examining how you're going to work with those changes than be purely interactive mode. So think about at least twice a year, this is what I would advocate, Tear it up, look at it. You know, not necessarily tear it up with the salespeople, but, you know, in your own, start looking at it, look at the metrics, see what's happening. Yeah. Um, and then don't be afraid to change because the world is changing and you need to be changing too.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I want to reiterate that don't be afraid to do that even when things look like they're going really well. Because far too many managers are saying, whoa, things are going so well, I don't want to fix it. It's not about fixing it. It's understanding why you're doing well. Someone once said to me, my business mentor, Alan Weiss, it doesn't matter that you know you're good. It matters that you know why you're good. Mm -hmm. Because when you know why you're good, you can replicate it amongst other people in the organization or with yourself over and over and over again. And that is a message more sales managers need to here, because far too often we say, "I'm going to take a hands-off approach because everything is going well. I don't want to screw it up."
0: <laughs> yeah, no, you always need to be engaged. Absolutely. So that was a good sort of good segue. You had brought up the the boom and bust cycle before, you know, in your book, nonstop sales. Boom. You sort of talk about strategies to drive consistent growth. So, what is the cause, or what are the causes of this continuous sort of cycle of boom and bust we see? You know, and Let's say on a more micro level. I mean, irrespective of what's happening out in the larger economy. I think you look at most companies, they go through this, unless it's sort of independent of what's happening in the, the world at large.
1: Absolutely. So,
0: what are the primary causes of that cycle of boom and bust?
1: Well, one of them is simply that salespeople take their foot on the off the prospecting gas when they fill up their pipelines. And, I mean, we lose focus because we love to close. And so when the pipeline is full of leads and we're busy closing, negotiating, writing proposals, we stop prospecting. And I see this all the time. In fact, the, the client that I'm working with this week, when I first started working with them, we could see a direct correlation between um opportunities created in their pipeline and closes. And on months where they had really high closes, they had no opportunities. And on months where they had lots of opportunities, they had no closes. And we simply could point out, they only prospect when they have nothing else to do. (laughs) So...
0: So, what was the solution for them?
1: (laughs) The solution was to um, create dedicated prospecting time on a weekly basis so that they got into the habit, and in some cases daily, so they got into the habit of creating a set number of opportunities every single day or every single week so that they had a consistent performance on a month-to-month basis instead of inconsistent performance.
0: Right. So, in that case, harkening back to the topic about your sales process, is looking at your sales process and saying, Yeah, this is a process that we're going to execute consistently every day, every step of it, as opposed to we're going to pick and choose.
1: Yeah, and part of that is the management's responsibility. I mean, I believe that as a sales manager, um, you you and your team are partners. And if you let your team get away with this, then you're complicit in the crime. So it's critical that you coach them on a weekly basis and that you pay attention to both the front end and the bottom end of the pipeline. Because... Um, my observation of coaching conversations is that it's really easy to get caught up in what's going to close and what do I need to help you close it because, again, it's what everyone likes to talk about. But the sales manager's responsibility is to make sure that salesperson has items to close in the coming months and to remember that the close is the lagging indicator of success. We have to manage those leading indicators of success, which are
0: opportunity creation and opportunity qualification. Yeah, so I like to say you can't manage an outcome, but you can manage a process.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great expression.
0: So um, getting back to you talk about coaching on a weekly basis. Now this interestingly has sort of become a little bit in some sectors become a little controversial. This mm-hmm. whole idea of one on one coaching and you know, the one on one <laughs> meetings and like guys a conference where somebody is advocating that, you know, that's passe.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing that that person has never had a top performer um, well, no, mentality. Was, uh, well, I don't know.
0: This was a fairly successful company that they were. But advocating. I thought, well, that that. Hmm. Not sure. I not sure. I buy into that.
1: Yeah. No, I don't buy into that at all because all the research that I've seen and all the research that I've conducted on my own show that when salespeople are coached for half an hour. Um, a week, one-on-one, uh, their performance increases to you know upwards of 105, 107% of quota. Um, the problem is and why people advocate um, moving away from this is because they're not coaching effectively. And so people complain, their top performers say they're being micromanaged. Well, if you're not coaching effectively, then yes, absolutely, I bet they do think they're mic- being micromanaged. Um, so it's but- not
0: just about deal review.
1: No, it's not deal review at all. It's pipe. It's um, pipeline coaching on every stage of the pipeline and, and making sure the manager knows what they need to do to help the salesperson be a success and making sure that the salesperson has an outlet to brainstorm solutions so that they
0: can be successful.
1: Uh, you know, I use sporting analogies in this in this
0: um, scenario, all well, Canadians, so it has to be hockey.
1: Really, like, hockey, basketball. You know, we could use That's true. all <laughs> basketball now.
0: Toronto, they're they're doing well.
1: They're doing well, and I always say, you know, come on, like let's look at the best players of the world: Stephen Curry, LeBron James, you know, Kevin Durant in basketball. What would happen if those guys opted out of practice? You know, no matter how good they are, you look at John Daly as a classic golf example. Here's a guy who opted out of coaching, and what happened? You know, there's maybe one example. That I can think of modern example in the last ten years of an anomaly in professional sports. Who's won a major? He won um, uh, the golfer, um, Bubba. Bubba The guy who won the Masters, Bubba 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 Watson. Watson, And I think I think he's the only guy who says, "Well, I don't have a coach." He doesn't. Right. He doesn't. But you can't run a business based on exception. Every other person before and after him, arguably, had at least two coaches (laughs) to Mm -hmm. help them get there. Mm So, if your company is a Bubba Watson, I'll give you that. But me, (laughs) chances are you probably are not.
0: Chances are you probably need coaching. Well, absolutely. Well, everybody needs coaches. I mean, I've got a coach. You may have a coach. You talk about Alan Weiss as your mentor and great. Yeah, he is my coach. Yeah, you very very rarely get to the point where you're immune from needing that.
1: No. And you know what's interesting is there was um, an interesting study that came out from um, the conference executive board or the sales executive board a couple years ago that showed that um, salespeople who say that their managers are good coaches uh, stick around longer. They actually stay in their jobs longer and they work 200% harder. So it's almost like those people, you know, you hear um, college athletes say, we did this one for our coach, you know, put me in coach, mm-hmm. win it for my coach. It's the same attitude that comes through on sales when you feel like your manager is in it for you and they're helping you and they're cheering you along and they're providing good solid feedback that's helping you hit or exceed your goals, then you tend to stay with that company longer and you tend to work harder for them.
0: Alright, well last question along that line. So then what, what does the manager need to do then to become that great coach?
1: Uh, the first thing is, you know, going back to this weekly or, you know, if you really can't do weekly, bi-weekly, um, objective coaching. So the first hallmark of good coaching is it has to be objective. And one of the ways to make sure that it's objective is to have a set time every week or every other week that the coaching um, is held on and that you're using data from your dashboards or your pipeline to run that coaching. And the reason why that set date and time are important is because it signals to the salesperson that you're just not going to coach them when you see them doing something wrong, because that's what most salespeople really resent, is they say, oh, yeah, my manager hauled me into my office to tell me I was doing something wrong. Um, If they know that their coaching session is every Wednesday at 9 o'clock, they see it as an objective measure of success. Uh, Second of all, companies need to have managers who are managers and not player coaches, because when you're a player coach, meaning you're selling against your salespeople, salespeople always have a low-grade or sometimes a high-grade level of resentment for you because they mm-hmm. feel like you're competing. And you will never prioritize coaching when you're an individual performer as well.
0: No, I think that's a great, especially for smaller companies, a great suggestion is, yeah, if you have yeah. a sales manager, the sales manager needs to be a manager. Yeah, if they're out there competing for orders or uh, with their team, yeah, the level of trust is never going to be built up.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So coaching from, um, coaching from the data and then asking questions. Sometimes we do have to be prescriptive and say, here's what I think you should do. And then ask the salesperson, what do you think you should do? And if the salesperson has great ideas, then say, hey, you know what? I think your ideas are better. Let's do those instead. Um, and then the critical piece is the accountability. So I believe that great coaches start their coaching session by reviewing the last coaching session. Okay, so let's talk about what's happened since you were here. Mm-hmm. You, you were, were going to do A, B, and C. Did those things get done? What were the results? Do we need to, you know, review, update, what, you know, or why didn't you get them done? Because a test is always in every coaching session. Am I testing for willingness or ability? Um, is this person willing to do what it's going to take in order to be successful? And if so, that's great. We just have to train them on what they have to do. And is this person able to do? So maybe they're willing, but they just don't know how. So there are mm-hmm. two different issues to resolve. And we need to test for that because if they continue to show signs of unwillingness, then we're uh, potentially in a different situation. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, you need to help encourage them to find another career, right? Yeah. All right. Well, excellent. Well, good. Well, we're going to move to the last segment of the show. I've got some standard questions I post to all my guests. Now, the first question is a hypothetical scenario. And in this scenario, you, Colleen, have just been hired as a new sales VP with a company whose sales have stalled out. And they want to get unstuck and turned around. And so the CEO is really looking at you to make this happen. So what, what two things could you do your first week on that job that could have the biggest impact?
1: The first thing I would do is... Um, go out and make sales calls with every one of my salespeople. If they were inside salespeople, I would sit on the phone, plug into their phones, and listen to what was going on. No judgment, just gathering firsthand hand evidence. Um, at the same time, I would pick up the phone and call existing customers to find out why they did business with us um, and why they're continuing to do business with us. Um, and I would call customer if the, depending on the type of business it was, if we had customers who were Existing customers, but put us in competitive situations. In other words, you know they're thinking of replacing us. Mm-hmm. I would call and try to get some um, real time feedback on why they felt they needed to look another place. So um, not necessarily. I, I would try to pull myself out of a sales capacity and just, you know, use the look. I'm a new sales manager. I'm trying to help the company out. I'm trying to figure out what compelled you to want to go to someone else. Was it service, price, product? You know, all those kinds of things. So the first week would be intensive evidence gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then um, after I had evidence of what was uh, I thought was working well and what was um, not working well, then I would suggest um, changes. I would also start. I would immediately put into a coaching plan into place. So, depending on how bad things really were, right. um, <laughs> I and would have. And the thing
0: is, you never know till you get there. <laughs> exactly right. You never know till you, you get there. You
1: never know, and I think the first thing we have to do is base all of our decisions on evidence. But you've got two things simultaneously going on. We don't want to make. I I wouldn't want to make any wholesale changes without that evidence. But on the short term, I'd want to make sure that I was staying on top of. Um, of the team. So for example, with one team we're doing this with right now, we have daily wrap-up calls and they just last half an hour. The team is small, four people, but every day at 3.30 we get on the phone and we have a quick half an hour. Who'd you see? What's significant about those calls? What's the plan for tomorrow? And just doing that on a daily basis for one week um, has dramatically changed the actions that the sales people have taken. And they don't feel, again, this is not a micromanaging situation, they know that sales are tanking and so mm-hmm. they're doing everything they can, but it's helping to build some team camaraderie um, in a team that's you know based in California and New York. So, um, so those are the two things that I would do very quickly.
0: Okay, great answer. And I, and I would add to what you were saying is that you talked about coming in and listening is you have to listen without judgment. Really yes. important is, oh yes,
1: yeah, such a good take, point.
0: Put put your filters down because yeah, you're you are hired as the expert, but it doesn't mean that you know what the right solution is. So listen without judgment.
1: Yeah, and, and then, don't you find? I mean, the person in these kinds of situations, often you get hired in with someone's opinion on what they think the problem is, oh, um, yeah. and that may or may not be the truth. But you have to take that kind of put it aside and say, okay, let's
0: really see what's going on here. Exactly. Okay, some rapid-fire questions for you now. You, you can give me one-word answers. You can elaborate. We'll let you get more than one-word answers <laughs> if you want. Okay. So the first one is, when you, Colleen Francis, are out selling, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Honesty, or genuineness, I guess, is maybe a better word. Okay. Who's your sales role model? My dad. What's one book every salesperson should read, other than your own?
1: Other than nonstop sales boom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, I think you should read Million Dollar Referrals from Alan Weiss.
0: Okay. A great, great book. Um, uh, Oh, and
1: one just one more sure. because it's brilliant, is Triggers by Malcolm um uh by uh, Mar- Golds.
0: Goldsmith. <laughs> <Gladwell.
1: laughs> no, 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 the um the
0: coach. Marshall Goldsmith. Oh Ooh. Marshall Goldsmith, all right, okay. <laughs> Triggers. Yeah. Behavior change book. Ooh. All right, excellent. Okay. You got two. Perfect. All right. So, last question for you is, what's on your playlist these days?
1: What's on my playlist? Well, um, it's funny you should mention that, but right now the Tragically Hip is on my playlist because mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about the he's a, a good, Gord Downey is a um, Canadian idol in the music scene and he's just announced some devastating and heartbreaking um, medical diagnosis, so he is on my playlist right oh, now. What? what? I didn't hear that. What? Yes, um, inoperable terminal brain cancer. Oh, geez. Yeah, so so that's a sad way to end this. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, a for, downer that, for end, but... I know, I'm sorry about that, but you just hit it right <laughs> when I was thinking about it because the news just came well, out today. <laughs>
0: well, that's too bad, I hadn't had a chance to read that yet. Okay.
1: Usually, though, it's Coldplay.
0: Coldplay, okay. All right, well, good. Well, Colleen, I want to thank you for being on the show. It's been great. Uh, tell people how they can find out more about you.
1: Um, they're more than welcome to visit any of our website properties, which can all be get to. Um, they all come together at EngageSelling.com. dot uh, Our blog and our YouTube site, um, Facebook, Twitter, um, and our website all are full of um, free articles, videos, podcasts, all sorts of things that they can use to improve their sales. Great. Well,
0: again, thank you very much. And remember, hey, my friends... pleasure for being
1: here. Thank you so oh, much. Oh,
0: yeah, and thank you for. Now you can get on with your day up there in beautiful Northern California. Yes. And uh, for listeners, thank you again for joining the show. Remember, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate part of your daily routine, whether you're listening on your commute, in the gym, or as part of your morning sales meeting. That way, you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Colleen Francis, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So, thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.